0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We are going to turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 again this evening, Acts chapter 1, and uh, we won't be able to finish the chapter, but we will be able to, uh, as they say, take another whack at it. Um another section, verse by verse through the text of Scripture. And uh, we start in verse number 12 tonight, verse number 12. It says, so after the Lord has uh, instructed them, as we said, He gave diff- seven different kinds of things that were happening during His last uh, time with them, uh, during those 40 days. Uh, He instructed them about the Great Commission, about the coming of the Spirit and the fact that they need to wait for that coming. So it says in verse 12 in response to that and him going to heaven, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. And here's the list. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And then parenthetically, the text says this, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two: Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right. So we're finding ourselves in the nine day period uh, or nine or 10 day period, however you want to count it, uh, between the uh, ascension of Christ and while, the, while they're waiting for the Spirit of God to arrive as promised by Jesus in the early part of uh, chapter 1. So it starts out and says, so they were, at, they were at the Mount of Olives when the Lord ascended and it takes us back with them to Jerusalem. And it says that they took the journey, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, uh, we have to, we'd have to look back at my calendar from the last message to see exactly on what day this was, but uh, I don't think it was on a Sabbath. I think it was on the first day of the week again, but whatever the case is, um, they were going that distance. And it's just a measure of distance. It's not saying that it was on a Saturday or a Sabbath, but there's the measure of the distance. Have you ever f- heard or remember what that distance is? So the distance is thought to be about a half a mile, about a half a mile, um, and could be traversed on the Sabbath without breaking the law of remaining in your place. Let me uh, take you to one portion in Exodus 16 where there's a reference to this sort of thing. And it says in Exodus 16 and verse number 29, this is in the bread from heaven passage where manna is coming down and God says, gather at six days but not on the seventh. Gather twice as much on the sixth day so you'll have enough for the Sabbath. And it says in verse 27, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So the Lord had a very nice way of enforcing his law. He said, if you go out to try to find some manna, it's not going to be there on the seventh day. Uh, Clearly a miraculous provision if it happened in cycles of six on and one off. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, it says. And so they were to stay there, but there seems to be an understanding that if a person wanted to go to the tabernacle in the center of the encampment, they could do that on the Sabbath day to go worship. And so it's thought that approximately uh, 2,000 cubits, I think it is, or approximately half a mile, would be the farthest distance that somebody would have to walk to get from their encampment to the tabernacle. Remember how they would camp on the north, east, south, and west, all the way around the center of the tabernacle layout? And so that was thought to be a uh, kind of the a, a, a genesis of this measurement, about a half a mile to not be breaking the law. So uh, people even today will walk to their synagogue on Saturdays for their worship services. Have you noticed that in town? We have see Jewish people walking to their services on, on Saturday uh, in, in connection with this command of the Sabbath day's journey. Now the text lists for us those who gathered And there are several uh, groups that we could say, or break it down into several groups. First, you have the 11 apostles. Uh, Let's see if I've got them all here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Wait a minute, did I count them wrong? 1, 2, 3, Peter, James, and John, that's 3. Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, that's 6. Bartholomew, 7. Matthew, 8. James, 9. Simon the Zealot, 10. And Judas, there it is. The son of James, 11. So we have 11. Obviously 11 because number 12, Judas is gone. He's out of the picture. And then it adds there, and it says in verse number, um, let's see, uh, 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then it says, and his brothers, are with his brothers. So the women are not named, but probably include those who were present at the cross. Remember, there were several women who were there uh, standing at the cross, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and then Salome, these three women at least, and others perhaps. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned here. Uh, she's right in the mix with the rest of them, not uh, possessing a, a particularly notable place, except that she's the only woman who's named specifically here. And uh, by the way, this is the last time that Mary is mentioned in the Bible. She doesn't occur after this in the scriptures. Obviously, the focus of the New Testament is not on Mary. We need to make that clear uh, for some of our friends who uh, get confused about that. And then it talks about Jesus' brothers, again, unnamed, but we know that they were James, Joseph, or Joseph, Simon and Judas, so four brothers. He also had sisters, but they're not mentioned here. These were Mary's naturally born sons with Joseph. And evidently now they do, do believe in Jesus, even though in John chapter seven, remember, it says that they did not yet believe in him. I could just turn back about 14 chapters or so in my Bible. Go to Acts or rather John chapter seven verse three. Or verse 5, rather, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Even his brothers did not believe in him. But it seems that that changed by now, and they were associating with the Christians that were there. Um, now, notice in verse 15, it says the names number of names was about 120. So, obviously, we have 11 three women, that's 14, Mary 15, uh, the brothers, four is 19, so we have one-sixth or so of the names of the people uh, that were here. I do notice, though, uh, that they did know who was in the church and who was outside of the church. There is an idea of a membership role, whether it was written down like we have it, or whether it was in people's heads collectively, that's a different matter. but they knew who was with them and who wasn't with them. And that is the, the beginning of what we do when we have a formal membership. We know who's in and who's not in. Well, anyway, um, I should note here that this group is not a church, is not a church yet. Why is that not a church? Well, who was their pastor? We don't, there's nobody called out here. In fact, one of the apostles didn't end up being the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Remember James was? James wasn't one of the apostles. Uh, We see that in Acts 15. There's no leadership structure. There's no organization. There's no practice or worship of uh, of the Lord through ordinances. And most importantly, we know it's not a church because a key ministry was missing. What's that? Yeah, the ministry of the Holy Spirit wasn't there yet because He hadn't come. They were waiting for Him, so the church could not have begun until that occurred. That's a clear delineation, or kind of a new point point in time in which something new is being done, uh, new is happening, and so we, we weren't there yet. So they were waiting to be fully invested with the power required for them to be proper witnesses for Jesus, and that hadn't happened yet. Now, they received the command in Acts 1.4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. And then he says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So uh, he said to them to wait for the promise. Now, what did their waiting look like? We're waiting. We're waiting. (laughs) No, it didn't look like that. It says that they prayed. They prayed. Sometimes you are in a waiting mode. You're waiting for your... Child to come out of school to get into the car. You're waiting at the doctor's office. You're waiting, whatever. What can you be doing while you're waiting? (laughs) Praying. Yeah, waiting all the time. And sometimes, if you learn that grace, you're you're glad to be in a long line because then you get more time to pray. (laughs) It doesn't always happen though, right? We want to be you know in and out, and I have to wait. And well, why are these people taking so long? And so on and so forth. But they were waiting and praying. Um, so they were doing very, something very profitable as they were waiting. I think this has application too to our, our, our older folks who say, why am I still here? Like Mrs. Sachs and before her, Pastor Sachs, and before them, every generation of people who live to a greatly advanced age. Why is the Lord still have me here? I'm waiting to go to heaven. Well, you can be productive while you're waiting, even if you can't do a ton of other things, so we'll all learn that by and by if the Lord tarries and keeps us here long enough. So the time that they were there is marked by three items. I've broken this down. It says um, they continued, first of all. They were with one accord, second of all, and third of all, they were in prayer, prayer and supplication, some Greek texts add. So those three things, just meditate on those for a moment with me. They continued. They continued, busily engaged in and devoted to prayer. They were persisting in it. This was a revival before revivals were cool. You know, this was uh, like the Asbury thing that was going on here in recent weeks, I guess. You know, this, this was a 24-7 prayer meeting or around-the-clock prayer time. Of course, we understand they had to live, they had to eat, they had to drink, they had to do their different functions, maybe work some, but so it was not nonstop prayer, but they continued busily engaged in the business of prayer. That's a blessing to be able to do that. You can't always do that in life. There are different seasons in your life. You have children, you have work, uh, you know, people look forward to retirement because they can do everything else they want to do, but... I don't hear many people saying, boy, I can't wait till I can retire so I can pray more. (laughs) Maybe that would be a good thing to do. Um, So they continued. And they continued, secondly, with one accord. This is, uh, uh, I think it's the word hamathumadon. It's a fascinating little word to pronounce in Greek. But it means one purpose or one mind. They were united in their goal to honor the Lord by faithful obedience to His command to be witnesses to His resurrection. But they knew they had to wait for a time before that program began. But they were united in that waiting. They were united with a single purpose, with a desire, a single-minded desire. I, I, I have to say something about this because it would do well for us to consider whether we are of one mind one mind i'll tell you one area which really has been highlighted to me in the recent years where we are not of one mind and and it's got to do with this whole political thing it's not i'm not saying that there how can i say this my one mind or one purpose idea is not to criticize those who lean left or lean right. I think there are severe issues with leaning left as far as abortion and you know, all that sort of stuff. But that's not my criticism. It's not that we're not of one mind that way. And people can say, well, I'm over here on the conservative side, and I'm not at one mind with this brother over here who's more leftist or liberal, and he shouldn't be that way. No, what I'm saying is if you just pop up one level of abstraction from that, there are, there's a whole other mind that you can have, and that is the mind of Christ over here, which is not this conservative mind or this leftist mind. It's not the mind that gets bogged down in, in political, the mire of the day. I mean, I was listening to the news today, and I was just like, I'm so sick of this. It's the same thing every day, just some variation. Instead of purple, it's light purple or dark green, but it's all the same picture, you know, and uh, the same bribery and corruption and scandals and lies and, you know, un- stuff that's not common sense and immoral and unholy and all of that. Our mind is to be over here on this other matter. Christ and His kingdom, His church, That that's the... Anybody who's over here focusing on this is not of like mind with somebody who's over focusing on this. And that's what I'm trying to say is we need to be together of one mind. We say, okay, yeah, that stuff's happening. But you know what? Those people need Christ. Those people are not submitted to the lordship of Christ. They're not acknowledging him as their king. That's our burden they're not living holy lives. They're damaging themselves by what they're doing and the choices that they make and all of that. You know, they're harming themselves. They're, they're, they're going down the path of destruction to perdition. So we need to consider whether we are of one mind and one accord on things in our church and our general approach to life. Another thing I could say is you can't truly be of one mind with your fellow believers if when you go home from church, you're a different person with different goals and purposes than you are when you come on Sunday. I'm not talking about the typical, you know, well-worn uh, idea of, you know, you have, you're a hypocrite, you have a mask on, you come to church, and you look different than every other t- you know time during the week that you live that's connected to it, but it's it's bigger than that. It's that, you know... You have the purpose, the direction, the single-mindedness you say when you're with your people at church, but then when you go, your purpose is career, advancement, money, you know, family, uh, don't really care about my neighbors, don't ask me to evangelize, prayer meeting, what's that all about? I have more important things to do you're not like-minded together in the way that you should, guided by what should be the guide for our like-mindedness, which is the Scripture, right? Um, So if you have widely different goals in your private life than in the life you present to fellow Christians, something is wrong. What if your life goals diverge from Scripture, which is the constant source of like-mindedness? One mind means one mind not double mind, not split mind. If the mindset we are supposed to have is that we must be witnesses for Christ, we should actually do that in our whole life, private life, public life, Christian life, which should all be one life because we have one mind with our fellow believers. So we should be united in that regard. So they continued with one mind or one accord. And then thirdly, they did so in prayer um, and if you have a New King James, it will say with prayer and supplication, and that is because some Greek manuscripts add the word supplication, They, uh, but the, um, the, how can I say, the uh, Alexandrian texts, some of the Greek texts that are considered by scholars to be better, I'm not making a judgment call on that right now, I'm just saying what they consider to be better don't have the words and supplication. So, in prayer and prayer includes things like what i said in the opening of my prayer we worship god because he's worthy Um, we confess to god because we're sinners we uh, give thanks to god because he's gracious we uh, make requests of god because he's able to answer those requests Uh, we request for ourselves we request for others that would be like intercession or appeal on behalf of other people That's what they were doing. And I bet they were asking, Lord, please quickly send that Holy Spirit gift that you were talking about. Please help us to walk in a way that we should walk. Help us to be holy. Help us to honor the memory of the one who died and rose again for us. Later on, the church gets together and um, they, uh, after they've been persecuted, they raise their voice to God with one accord, Acts 4.24, and address God as the creator of all things and and recite Psalm 2, why do the people rage against the Lord and against your Christ and all of that. And then it says, um, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and uh, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so they were concerned that they would be able to speak his word in that portion, and I think probably in this portion as well, that was not far from their minds, and so they prayed that way. So they received the command to wait, and while they waited, they prayed. And this is how they prayed, continually with one accord and, and in prayer, worship, confession, adoration, and supplication, thanksgiving, all that sort of stuff. Um, let me give a couple notes then on corporate prayer here. Much of the section of Acts is not directly or even remotely applicable to us. When I say this section, I'm referring to the whole from 12 to 26. How many times are we going to have to pick an apostle in this church? Zero. How many times are we going to cast lots to make a decision? (laughs) We're not going to cast lots, friends, not as long as I'm here, okay? I mean, uh, not for some kind of important decision, all right? Somebody will probably try to craft some situation or she'll like, throw the dice, pastor, just pick it. You know, well, we'll I'll show you something about that in just a moment. But um, so I'm saying some of this doesn't, just doesn't apply to us. But some of it does because the first believers in Jesus gave us a pattern to follow when they prayed. They didn't start by having a preaching service, They didn't start by having Sunday school. They didn't start by having a potluck lunch. They didn't stop by having a home Bible study. They had a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting. So why is the prayer meeting the least attended and least popular meeting in all of church history? I wonder. Do you wonder? (laughs) I kind of wonder. They put a priority on this. I think we should probably put a priority on this. We need more prayer in our lives you know their their model of prayer is typical believers in distress or danger, but when danger distress passes, why prayer passes? Um, we need to be more devoted to it uh, and with like mind well let 's see i 've got so much more here i 've only gone through two pages. Um, let me just mention quickly. Um, there there was, in, in the time past when we studied this portion of Scripture, there was a question, and I don't remember all the context of it, but I had it in my notes, so I thought I'd bring it again here. And the question had to do with the participation of women in the prayer meeting because it says these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. These refers back to the men, the 11 apostles, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. By the way, I just happened to think about this just now. Let me let me uh, mention. I think it's quite interesting that the apostles continued with that one accord in prayer and supplication, and then it says um, in Acts chapter six when they were being uh, when they had the trouble with the widows being served improperly about the food matter there. Um, it says it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables, verse uh, 2 of chapter 6, and then Acts 6, 4. You you pick out deacons, that's what happened there, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. To prayer and the ministry of the Word. And they began that way. It's a blessing to be to me to be able to have faithful men who I can say, "Hey, work on that project that we have over there in Ypsilanti. I don't have to be there all the time. I come home, I can work in the word like for this, have some prayer so that I don't get caught up all the time. I get caught up a lot of the time, but not all the time in uh in the physical projects and different things that have to happen around the buildings and, and uh Practical things like that. But anyways, back to this. Um, We have the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. I find it difficult to believe that the women didn't have any part in the prayer time. Now, it doesn't tell us that they did or they didn't, except that it says this. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think the word with indicates that they were participants in what was going on here. And so uh, women were included in this prayer meeting. They certainly participated somehow in it. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 5 and 13, that indicates that women may pray in public meetings as long as they do so in proper subjection to their, their husbands. Remember that? They have to wear a covering on their head, and that shows subjection. Okay, we show subjection in different ways today than that cultural way, but uh, it's the same thing. Um, there's another question from uh, 1 Corinthians 14, let the women remain silent in the churches, and if they have a question, ask their husbands at home. Or 1 Timothy 2: uh, 12. let's see, I thought it was actually verse number 11. I thought I had fixed that in my notes, but... Apparently not. Uh, First Timothy chapter two talks about the same thing, and might cause some of you, dear ladies, to wonder. Well, should I be praying? And of course, if you have a conscience problem about that, why you're you're never going to convince me to force you to ignore your conscience. Um, but this says here, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. But correlating that with First Corinthians, it seems to me that Paul is allowing for. Women to pray. Praying is not teaching. Uh, praying is not preaching unless it turns into preaching. Okay, don't don't make your prayers preach, uh, preaching. You know, don't make your testimony a preachimony, as they say. Um, just pray. But um, it's not usurping authority over men. Uh, in particular, like in our context here, we have men and women pray together, but it's under the leadership of the responsible man in the church who's leading the meeting. Um, so I don't believe that public prayers by women are forbidden in the church, um, and uh, you know I think it's just fine. It, you can look at the notes; they'll be on they'll be online for you in a corrected fashion here uh, later tonight, hopefully, or tomorrow. So it's not a it's not a a big big deal here for us to have to work around or anything like that. Okay, so we have the disciples uh, numbering now 120, this is verse 15, Um, and there were a number of followers of Jesus, remember large crowds followed him and and some were coming back out of the woodwork now, what happened to them over the last few days? Well, they were probably scattered when Jesus was killed, right, because they're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm next, (laughs) I'm going to be the next person on the Jewish leadership's chopping block to get rid of, so... Uh, persecution caused them maybe to to recede into the background a little bit, but now they come out. Um, And by the way, this is a good lesson for us because just if you think you're just one of a very few number of Christians, like you say, boy, there's not a lot of people here. Well, uh, look around at other faithful churches and you see other believers in those churches. God has pockets of them all over the place. And here they were gathering and that was an encouragement to them, and I hope it's an encouragement to you to know that, uh, you know, as as God said to Elijah, you know, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Not just you, but there are many others as well. All right, so um, I don't think we really have time to get into the matter of uh, Judas's death. I was going to treat that in verses 18 and 19, kind of lift that out and put it aside and then deal with the rest of the text because that parenthetical matter can be dealt with separately. But it's 8 o'clock. I think we'll stop there and uh, save this for the next time that the Lord allows us to get together. And uh, that may be, well, I don't know if I'll use this this weekend, but certainly by next Wednesday, Lord willing, we'll do that, okay? Um, So look forward to uh, being with you again on the Lord's Day. Well, Saturday, first of all, and the Lord's Day. On Sunday. Um, I haven't reviewed in my mind who is speaking on Saturday morning. But I thought, oh, it's you. It's not Ben. And it's Brother James, and he's responsible to speak on Sunday morning also. So we're really putting that brother to work again. That's right. And then I'll speak in the Sunday morning service. And uh, God willing, Jansen in the evening. We do have American House in the afternoon, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to go with the illness in our home. We're a bit more cautious about going there than we are anywhere else, because of the o- older folks there and the frail health. But also, they did have a lockdown a couple of weeks ago to uh, prevent us from coming in because of the uh, illness there. So we have to be cautious about that, but you know, understand all that. Um, so we'll have to see if that ministry does go on. It's, it's uh, a little difficult with all this illness still running around. So, But don't fear. Uh, God is with us, and he's not going to let anything cross our paths that's not outside, like, oops, oh, didn't think of that one. <laughs> he's got it all in, under control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture that reminded us of the Early believers, before they even became a church, uh, what they did, they waited and prayed. Help us to be uh, prayer-minded prayer as well. And as we continue on in our study in the book, help us to learn and understand it. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.